Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what the head of state education said when she testified before a Washington committee on Mississippi's new education policy. Mississippi's future will be shaped by the students of today, and we're deeply committed to equipping them to learn, build, create, serve, and innovate. Only two weeks before workers at the Nissan plant in Canton will vote on participating in a union, hear from a worker who is not on board with the change. And tips and possible treatments that may help headache and migraine sufferers in Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. State Superintendent of Education Kerry Wright is telling U.S. lawmakers how Mississippi plans to meet new federal education regulations. She spoke on details of the Mississippi Succeeds Plan at a hearing at the House Committee on Education and the Workforce in Washington, D.C. The plan is the state's implementation of the federal government's Every Student Succeeds Act that some refer to as ESSA or E-S-S-A. The new policy is changing the role of the federal government in education as it gives more control to states and allows districts to implement the plan in their own way. Superintendent Wright says bridging the achievement gap between students is an important part of the policy. ESSA has given Mississippi the opportunity to create a plan specifically designed for the students of our state. At the same time, the law provides guardrails to ensure our work is appropriately targeted toward improving educational opportunities and outcomes for all students and all schools. Our plan is called Mississippi Succeeds, and we are proud that it builds upon our state board's strong strategic plan to prepare students for college and careers. This strong foundation includes a rigorous academic standards for all students, aligned assessments to track student achievement, and an accountability model that clearly measures the performance of our schools and our districts. Our ESSA plan also builds upon the significant investments that Mississippi has made in early childhood education, literacy, career and technical education, advanced coursework opportunities for students, and professional development for all teachers. All of these initiatives have broad stakeholder support and have resulted in improved student outcomes. To design Mississippi Succeeds, we again sought broad input from stakeholders over an 18-month period to craft a plan tailored to the needs of our students. During those 18 months, we conducted a listening tour, which included 15 public meetings throughout the state. We hosted targeted meetings with specific stakeholder groups and collected feedback through an online survey. Among our most active participants were advocates for the underserved, majority African-American communities in rural, low-income areas of the state, parents of students with disabilities, 
and teachers of English language learners. Mississippi has a small but growing population of English learners, and most of the teachers of the English learners who participated in our feedback sessions were the only people in their schools whose work was dedicated to English learners. Throughout these meetings and the online survey, we gathered 7,300 feedback points. We established working groups, and we established an ESSA advisory committee made up of stakeholders to provide us feedback and input throughout the entire development of our plan. We intend to keep all of our partners engaged in our implementation of the plan through regular meetings with our stakeholders as well as with the ESSA advisory committee. The robust participation of stakeholders helped Mississippi develop a strong plan to meet the requirements of ESSA. And I'm especially excited about the following aspects of our plan. Providing effective teachers with the opportunities to not only teach children, but to work collaboratively to lead colleagues to improve their practice. Expanding early childhood to support early childhood educators in a variety of pre-K settings to implement developmentally appropriate practices in their classrooms. Improving schools by investing in the local teachers and administrators. Supporting communities through P16 councils. Strengthening parent engagement through school-based activities. We appreciate the flexibility of ESSA because we intend to include subgroup performance to identify schools for school improvement support. This will have the greatest impact on African-American students who make up our state's largest underperforming subgroup. We're expanding career and technical education to provide continuous computer science education to in grades K through 12, and to provide our high school students with the opportunity to graduate with a career and technical diploma endorsement that is of equal value to an academic endorsement. We are putting a strong focus on eliminating the proficiency gap between African-Americans and all students entirely so that the proficiency rates for all of our subgroups will increase to 70% by 2025. All of these initiatives are dependent on federal support for public education. As a state chief, I understand that federal resources are limited and that states must be effective stewards of tax dollars. Mississippi's ESSA plan is built around the targeted and efficient use of federal funds to maximize the impact on student achievement, especially of our most disadvantaged students. And as you can see, our Mississippi Succeeds will expand the state's education reform efforts to improve opportunities and outcomes for all students. Mississippi's future will be shaped by the students of today, and we're deeply committed to equipping them to learn, build, create, serve, and innovate we believe in the capacity of our students to achieve, and we believe in the ability of our teachers and schools to guide them to a successful future. Thank you. Joyce Helmick is president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware how she thinks the plan will affect Mississippi teachers. Well, in the discussions that we've had on the committee, I think that what MDE is planning is to implement some rigorous professional development for our educators, uh, listening to the educators across the state and what they need is vital to our work and to that professional development. The other thing that they're doing is looking at bringing in teachers, uh, working with the higher ed or uh, universities the education programs there and working to improve and making them consistent throughout the state and providing all of the help that they can 
to improve those programs, which will therefore improve the preparedness of the teachers who go into the classroom. What do you think the outcome will be for students here in the state? Well, we think that that outcome will be great for the students in that they will have effective teachers in the classroom. So student performance will um, improve and our achievement for our students will improve. So we feel like that in, in, um, in every category, in our early childhood education, in our elementary, middle school, and high school, uh, we feel like that all achievement gaps will be closing because we will have effective teachers in all classrooms. And as part of the plan to expand career and technical education for high school students to where when they finish high school, they'll have an endorsement to go right into the career field. What do you think that will mean for our graduating seniors here in the state? We think this is a, an opportunity for our students to leave high school and go into the field and work because um, in Mississippi we have so many of our students who um, want to go straight into the workforce. And our career in technology education has gone from what we used to call VOTEC to now high-tech. And so our career technical centers across the state have moved from those vocational areas to things like transportation, hospitality and tourism, engineering, um, and, and, of course, Mississippi's main state is agriculture. So uh, many of our students are moving in that direction rather than going to college. And we feel that that is going to make a big difference with our graduates because they're going to leave that classroom, they're going to leave high school, and be prepared to go right into the workforce, which will improve the economy in Mississippi also. How do you think teachers will be able to help address that issue and change that dynamic within their classrooms? Well, we think data is very important, as well as understanding where their students are, understanding the student and the culture of the community, and um, where that student needs to go from the point where he is. And so we feel like that once we gather data and we're working with that, then the teachers can move these move the students forward, and as they do, those gaps will close. Joyce Helmick is the president of Mississippi Association of Educators. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. And thank you. Wright and Helmick say sufficient funding is necessary to fulfill the plan. Several people expressed frustration during the hearing since U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos has not appeared before the committee. Coming up, a Nissan worker talks about her opposition to a union ahead of next month's vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
With just two weeks until a vote, the clock is ticking for supporters and objectors of a union at Nissan's Canton plant to get their messages out to employees. The company and the United Auto Workers Union have agreed on August 3rd and 4th for the election. The UAW says the National Labor Relations Board issued a complaint against Kelly Services, the temporary agency that hires workers for threatening to fire union supporters. Nissan has been cited by the Occupational Health and Safety Administration for violations. Union organizers say they expect threats to ramp up ahead of the vote, accusing the company of using videos and mailings to discourage support for the union. But not all the workers are for the union. Ken Bailey is a safety supervisor at Nissan. She dismisses the allegations, saying or tells MPB's Desiree Frazier it isn't needed. When I came to Nissan as a technician, I was approached about the union. I did my own research on the union. And the research that I came up with and my relationship that I have always had here at Nissan, I don't think the union has a place in Nissan can. Why do you feel that way? What in your research led you to that decision? Today's union is not the union of yesterday, meaning that it's not needed. We have an open-door policy. If you have any problems at Nissan, you can talk to your supervisor, you can talk to your manager, senior manager, HR rep. We have too many resources that we can talk for ourselves. Now, someone listening might say, well, she's a supervisor, and so I'm sure that she wants to protect her job. Maybe she feels under threat and just feels like she has to say this. I've not always been a supervisor. I came to Nissan in 2012 as a technician, and Nissan has never threatened our job. We've never had any threats, even as management. They have not threatened our job from folks who support bringing in the union and work for Nissan. We understand that there have been threatening letters sent to their homes saying that the union is not in their best interest, that videos have been shown that the plant could close as a result of union organizing. Are you familiar with any of that? I'm familiar with videos being shown and I'm familiar with some letters. But as the nature being threatening, no. Nissan has not sent out anything threatening saying that you should do this or you better do this. No, what Nissan has always done is give us the facts of everything. So how would you describe the videos that you've seen? The videos that I've seen are are very positive. They tell us about what Nissan has done for the community. We have personal stories of technicians telling how Nissan helped them, single parent of how they struggled to make ends meet until Nissan came, and they were, they were able to afford a better way of living once they were employed with Nissan. Now, are these employees right in Mississippi, or are they ones from Tennessee or overseas? No, ma'am. These are Nissan, Nissan Canton employees. And what have you seen in terms of mailing sent to homes? The most recent letter was just stating that Nissan is not soliciting our information. Nissan wouldn't give our information to anybody because it's our private information. We've seen letters about how it is important for everybody to vote. Nissan encourages everybody to vote, whether no matter which side of the line you're on, Nissan encourages everybody to vote. Would you say that there are a lot of folks like you or are there a lot of people who want the union? there are a lot of people like me because like anything it's a new day we have legacy technicians and we have new technicians coming in and it's just 
there's a lot of people like me. I've, I've seen numerous people that's for the union, and I've seen numerous people that's not for the union. What about some of the issues that folks that want to organize have pointed out? We have a structured path for everyone to come in. I, I myself came in through Kelly. I was a pathway technician. That's the um, temp agency? Yes, and which we take people through Kelly now, and we have a transition from Kelly to Nissan. Okay, in terms of pay, benefits, retirement, pension, those were another concern. Can you speak to that a little bit? When I came to Nissan in 2012, the pay that we came in with was very competitive compared to what's offered in Mississippi and our surrounding state. Now, let me also let you know, the Kelly workers that's coming in now have it a lot better than we had it in um, 2012. Their pay has increased a substantial amount. Let me let me speak on pension. I know that's the thing everybody's saying, we don't have a pension, we don't have a pension. Okay, we have a retirement program set up for us, coupled with our 401k. It's the same thing as any company around that has right now. If I was to pass away right now, my family is still entitled to my retirement benefit. My company is investing into my retirement benefits. We have what we call a car program is in lieu of the pension. It is set aside if something happens to me, my family can't inherit that money. My family will be taken care of versus what we used to have. So is that in addition to your retirement? Uh, that's our retirement program. One thing unions are known for doing is protecting jobs if situation arises where an employee feels like their rights have been violated. Is there anything like that in place now without having a union? Oh, yes, ma'am. Everyone has a right to an investigation. There are due processes with anybody before they're terminated or relieved of the duties. Nissan doesn't just say, okay, you're fired without due process. Thank you so much. Thank you. At a news conference last week, union supporters said they want safe working conditions, fair wages for all, and better benefits. Nissan has issued statements saying the union isn't in the best interests of the workers or the company. Coming up, a surprising treatment to prevent migraine headaches. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the MyBlue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition. Mississippians with recurring headaches are not alone in their suffering. According to the National Library of Medicine, about 12% of the U.S. population experiences migraines. Although that may not seem like a large number, it equates to approximately 38 million people. Dr. Wendell Helveston is a neurologist at the Hattiesburg Clinic of Neurology. He says a migraine is more than just a bad headache, adding that a migraine can be incapacitating and relentless. Those that suffer from chronic migraines now have an FDA-approved medication to prevent chronic migraine. Some doctors are using Botox to treat those patients. Dr. Helveston says or tells us more about headache pain. There are numerous different kinds of headaches. There are cluster headaches. There are migraine headaches. There are tension-type headaches. There are chronic migraine headaches. There are many, many different kinds of headaches, but by far and away, uh, migraine headaches are the most frequent type of headache that we see and that people experience. Can you get a migraine headache once in your entire life, or is someone who has them had them repeatedly? Well, 12% of the U.S. population uh, experiences migraine headaches. It's very common, 38 million people. You can have a singular episode of migraine in your life, 
But more frequently, it tends to be a process that's more spread through the spectrum of life. You know, there are two age ranges that experience the highest incidence of migraine. There's a primary peak in the 20s and 30s, and then there's a secondary peak in the 60s. It's more frequent in women than men. What happens is that, uh, you know, in their primary productive years, women have them on a hormonal basis, and then they improve as they go through menopause. And then later on is the effect of the menopause goes away. Frequently, they can experience them later in life. Men experience migraines too, of course, and migraines are familial. They're inherited from family member to family member, so they're very characteristic types of headaches. What about cluster headaches? What are those exactly? Cluster headaches are much different than migraines. Migraine headaches vary by person, but the symptoms of migraine are nausea, vomiting, light and sound sensitivity, dizziness or lightheadedness, distorted vision, or seeing uh, zigzag lines in front of your vision. And migraines tend to last hour a day. Cluster headaches are different in that they last for about 20 or 30 minutes generally. Patients don't like to lay down during cluster headaches. They get up, they pace, and they stay moving, and they experience pain that's behind the eye or experience this pain in the eye. Their pain generally is very intense. It feels like a sharp or burning pain, and it will occur daily for weeks or months, and then it will go away spontaneously and may be gone for months or years and then recurs for a series on a daily basis for a series of events or days. And that's why they're called cluster. What's the cause of them? Nobody knows exactly what causes cluster headaches. Cluster headaches are associated with drooping of the eyelid and tearing of the eye with injection of the eye. So the eye turns red, tears up, and closes. Nobody knows what causes cluster headaches, but cigarette smoking, interestingly, has a high correlation with cluster headaches, and it is actually pretty rare to see a cluster headache patient that does not or has not smoked in the past. We don't know why. Well, maybe it's the carbon monoxide in cigarette smoke, but it's interesting that cluster headaches are uh, very characteristic and associated with cigarette smoking. I want to go back to the migraine headache. What kind of pain is it? Is it a pounding headache? Is it a constant, you know, throb or just achy? It's variable. Some people describe it as a deep aching pain, but more people describe actually a throbbing pulsatile type pain that's uh, disabling in nature. What can be done to alleviate some of those symptoms? In terms of uh, acute treatment of the headaches, we rely on a class of drug called the triptans. They have to do with serotonin metabolism, and they have very good clinical data and been used for 20 years for the treatment of acute migraine headaches. Those things include sumatriptan, rizotriptan, all in the same class. Other drugs that can be helpful are drugs like Fiorset, which is a combination of caffeine and butalbital, which is a type of barbiturate. But a number of different drugs are good for the acute treatment of migraine, but predominantly acute migraine we treat with triptans. Are there ways to prevent a migraine from setting in? Absolutely. There are a number of oral medications and actually some injection medications that are effective for the prevention of migraine headaches. We use various classes of medication, including anti-seizure drugs, antihypertensive drugs, certain types of older antidepressant drugs. They're all effective for the prevention of migraine headache. We also use for the treatment of chronic migraine, which is defined as patients that have more than 15 headache days per month lasting more than four hours a day have the option of Botox therapy, uh, which is injection therapy into the muscles of the face and head and neck to prevent uh, chronic migraine. So there are a number of different uh, approaches to the prevention of migraine 
that are all effective. We've known for years and years and years that certain foods can precipitate migraines. So we have a list of foods that might precipitate headaches and for people to look out for. We know that lack of sleep can precipitate headaches or stress. Okay, all that we know. This thing with Botox, though, is the most recent development in the prevention and treatment of chronic migraine headache. Dr. Wendell Helverson is a neurologist at the Hattiesburg Clinic in Neurology. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ms. Brown, and I hope you have a great day. Dr. Helverson also pointed out that the best way to learn your own triggers is to track the migraines in a diary, including what you were doing or eating before and at the time of the headache. Listen at 9 o'clock for Fix It 101. At 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Public Broadcasting comes from Grammy Museum Mississippi, presenting Ampton Wired on MPB-TV. More details on the live performances and exclusive interviews featured on Ampton Wired at mpbonline.com.